0: Our picture of Christmas is Joseph and Mary in Bethlehem and Mary giving birth to Jesus, the Promised One, the Messiah, laid in a manger, as we've heard this morning through words and songs. And scripture tells us that shepherds in that same region were visited by an angel and told them about the Savior, about the Christ who was born. And the shepherds visit Jesus. And then months later, we read, as we heard last week, that the Magi would find Jesus the king in a house with Mary and Joseph. And that is our view of Christmas. That's no doubt where our focus lies. But if we widen the lens some this morning, and I'd like for us to do that, from these episodes that we read in Matthew and Luke... We see the setting, we see the context surrounding these events, and today I I want us to see the condition of the world, the context, the the setting where Jesus came into, and so I want us to step back and see the big picture, but I also want us to see the picture of every individual in in their heart. I think that is where Jesus would like for us to go this morning, and, and specifically, what our condition is before Jesus comes, not only to Bethlehem but, but into our lives, and what that looks like this morning, and then as Paul is going to do for us, go to this coming of Christ and what it means. And so, if we could look at Galatians four, uh, chap- uh, chapter four, uh, verses four through or excuse me, three through seven, um, the Apostle Paul is going to speak to the coming of Christ and this condition which Christ came into and what his coming means. And many Christmas songs this time of year speak of the condition of the world before Christ came. And it says in the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, one of my favorites, it says, in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Oh, holy night, as we've sung before, says, Long lay the world in sin and air pining, air pining, fretting, and worry, and desperate, was the world, a weary world, that will soon rejoice because Jesus has come. And so we hear these words of weary, and these words of, of desperate, and no peace, and even the strong words of, of mocking the idea of peace on earth, and even this, this hate for God, that some of these songs of Christmas speak of. And and this is the context to which Christ came, a a world in bondage, a world in slavery, literally. And so look at the text, if you would, this morning, because that's what it speaks to in verse 3 as Paul gives us this picture. It says, so also while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world and so what he, Paul is doing here in Galatians is he goes back to a period of time in the lives of the Galatians where they were held in bondage literally in a state of slavery and there was no time before that that he says that they were under the elemental things or the principles is the word that he uses here this word is the word referring to basic principles the elemental Uh, things of this material world, spiritual beings literally standing between man and God is also the idea of this definition of these elemental things of the world. And so to help us this morning to understand what is this bondage? How how would you describe it? What is this thing that we're under that Paul refers to as elemental things? And so let me give you a few ideas to help kind of understand what did Christ come into? Well, this invasion of Jesus into this world, what, what did he come into? What was this bondage? What was this slavery? And so to help us a little bit, we're going to look at some verses surrounding this chapter. Uh, if you would, look up in chapter 3, verse 23. It says, Before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed, literally to us personally. And so, what's he talking about here? That that we were held in custody. He's talking about the law. We were under the law. When you think of the law this morning, I want us us to think of this idea of um, earning acceptance through the law. That that was the idea of many back then, that you had to earn this acceptance before God. It also could refer to the law given to Moses by, by God, obviously the first five books of the Bible and the Old Testament. Um, The laws of God are definitely in mind here. And and so there's this picture that that we're held literally in custody to um, the the law. The law is keeping us locked up in this prison, right? But but what is holding us? It's in this prison of sin, okay? And and the law convicts us. It, It holds us in custody. Now, when we think of the law, we also need to understand that the law is good. It does something very good. It shows us our sin, and it shows us our need for Jesus. It shows us that we cannot keep the law on our own. We we cannot earn acceptance before God by keeping the law. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. And so, this bondage, this slavery is the idea that the law is the prison warden that keeps us as inmates locked up in sin's prison. Not only that, look at chapter 4, verse 8, as Paul is going to also kind of further define this slavery, this bondage that the world is in, that we are in. It says, however, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. It's an interesting verse. What does that mean, that we are held literally as slaves to those by nature that are no gods. To me, it kind of has a flavor of idolatry, right? That that we're worshiping things, we're, we're treasuring things that are no gods at all. Paul right here is actually referring to this idea of demonic spirits who rule the present world system. And he's speaking to the Galatians here, saying that literally you are in bondage, in bondage. But it's very interesting here. What, what does Paul have in mind of this idea of being held literally in bondage to demonic forces? What does this mean? Well, some in the church in Galatia were using the law, as we spoke of just a bit ago, of God to help them do something, that they wanted to show moral accomplishments to God in the hope that they would receive blessings from God. And so what Paul is saying here is if that is where you're at, that you're trying to earn your salvation, you're trying to work for your salvation to receive blessings from God, to receive his lover's favor, Paul is saying that's demonic. And so it's pretty strong here is what he's talking about, this slavery that we're in. But think about this. The, the world has taught us that we've grown up in from very early to earn things, hasn't it? To earn things. And something's good. Let's, th- let's think about it. We, we earn affirmation from parents very early. We earn grades from teachers, right? Uh, we, we earn playing time from coaches and sports. We earn attention, right, from boys and girls. We do that. We earn paychecks from employees. And so we often, as a result of that, because we're so used to that, don't know how to receive favor or goodness or love without working for it or earning it. And so sometimes this can paralyze us before God, causing us to think we must earn his love, we must earn his kindness, we must earn favor from him. And so in doing that, we trade away the true gospel of grace and often work for and serve God as slaves as employees. And so that's what Paul's talking about here. When he says it's demonic, it's this idea that in some way we can earn love from God. You see, but God wants us to be sons and daughters, not slaves, not not employees of him. But often we can not feel safe with letting God do all the work we feel uneasy doing that. We want control. We want some sort of control. We, we struggle with believing in God's free gift of grace. And so the book of Galatians suggests that we will be tempted to deny the gospel by treating God as like this impersonal master and not a father. We'll try to seek to prove ourselves to him, and we seek to earn his love when he has already loved us and he has sent his son for us, And so Paul, what he does in this book, and especially in this chapter, he wants us to behold the gospel. He wants us to behold God's free gift of grace by faith alone so that we will be set free from the slavery of trying to earn, to try to, to work for his love, his favor. And so Paul is actually going to call this childish as well. This is another idea of this slavery I want us to touch on just a bit. If you look in this chapter and the surrounding verses, look at verse 1 in chapter 4, Paul says, now I say as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, though he is an owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, and I want to just stop there for a second because what Paul has in mind here also is that these who are in bondage and enslaved before coming to Christ, they're childish. And what does he have in mind here? It simply means they, they lack understanding. They lack understanding. They're, they're immature, right? Maybe as an infant or, or a minor that hasn't reached the age of maturity yet is what Paul has in mind here. And Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, He says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child. I used to think like a child. I used to reason like a child. But when I became a man, Paul says, I did away with childish things. And so what is Paul saying here? There must be a point where we, we grow out of the law and we come to the gospel is the idea. We, we grow out of childish things, try, trying to earn or, or, or selfishness, and, and, and we need to grow up. And what is Paul thinking of here? He's saying we need to grow up to the idea of receiving the gospel and trusting Christ, and come to that understanding. And ultimately, the last idea of this bondage, this slavery, as we think of all these ideas, as we're held in custody to the law, as we seek to earn blessing, Paul calls that demonic, as we are childish and immature and don't understand and need the gospel, Paul also says, ultimately, we're all in bondage to sin. We're all in bondage to sin. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, 10, he says, there is none righteous, none that are right with God, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. And there is none who does good. There is not even one. And then he says in verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And so Paul has this idea of slavery, of bondage. And so this is the big picture. Of the world. This is the the, the picture of every individual. That's the bad news, right? That's the bad news. But here's the good news of verse four, because what happens here is is we have this backdrop of slavery, of bondage. But then look at verse four. And and this first word is huge. It's 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 like an interruption, it's like an invasion of sorts. And look at verse 4, it says, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son. Don't you love just the power of that? I mean, that's, that's, that's huge. And it says here, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, because you are sons. And God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. What power. We read of verse 3, and we're like, oh my goodness, this weary world. But then, get to verse 4, when the fullness of time came. And so let's look at verse 4, if we could, and on. It says, At the perfect time, the appointed time, this fixed time, this determined time of the Father, his Son, Jesus Christ, was sent into this world at this particular time. It was the right time. You see, God is always on time, and this was his time to send Jesus. You know what this means? It means when the appointed time came, God the Father looked down on his world under the dominion of the enemy and said to his Son, Get ready. Get ready. Prepare yourself for the invasion. Go. Amazing. And the second thing we see here in verse 4, when the fullness of the time came, it says, God sent forth his Son. You see, the Father sent forth Jesus. What does this mean? It means about Jesus that he is the Son of God, Scripture tells us, that he existed before he was born in bethlehem he is eternal he lived in glory from eternity past his sending shows us that he is divine he is fully equal to the father he is eternal god and the idea of him being sent forth is that he is a representative with a task and a mission and we'll see what that is in just a bit through paul here not only that it says that jesus in verse four was born of a woman And so here we have declared his true humanity. You see, Jesus had an ordinary birth, just like everyone in this room. He had an ordinary birth, but his conception was miraculous as the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, a teenage version, and did the unexpected, as we read about in Luke chapter 1. And so what we have here in Paul's words is the incarnation of God becoming man. Jesus Christ, 100% divine, being sent forth from the Father and being clothed in humanity, 100% human. Two natures. Amazing. And that's the miraculous of Christmas. And then we see also in verse 4 here at the end, not only was he born of a woman, but he was born under the law. And this is important. We, we may don't really think of this maybe a lot at Christmas time, but but this idea excuse me, of Jesus being born under the law is huge. You see, Jesus was born a Jew. He was to obey God's law in its entirety. And when it came to keeping the requirements of the law, the commandments, he was perfect. He was perfect. One of the things that I, that I loved about our retreat two weeks ago at, at Pine Cove with the middle school and high school students is, is our speaker talked about this. And I thought it was interesting that, that, that how Jesus served us every day of his life by being pure, by keeping the law. Have you ever thought about this? And maybe we don't because we, we, we well, he was 100% divine. There was no way that he could sin, which is true, which is true. But have you ever thought about how he, has served, he served us every day of his life by obeying the word of God and not sinning? He served us in that way. And it's huge. It's big. And we'll see in just a second why. But also Jesus, he was circumcised on the eighth day. We read about Um, in Scripture. He never broke any of the Ten Commandments, any of the law. He followed the biblical pattern of worship. He went to Jerusalem to keep the feast. He celebrated Passover. He did everything that the law required. But not only did Jesus keep the law, but he died under the law. He willingly came under the law, accepting its death penalty for breaking it. But here's the deal, okay? Okay. He didn't break it. He didn't break it. But you and I did. You and I did. So he took our death penalty for us by dying on the cross. And this is how Paul speaks about it in this book. In chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He purchased us. He bought us back. From the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. That's why it's important that he was born under the law because he also died under the law. And he paid in full the price of the penalty that we all deserve. So when we think about Christmas, I want to share with you a few quotes that always encourage me this time of year. James Denny says this. He says, Christianity knows nothing of an incarnation which can't be defined apart from its relation to the atonement, meaning the death of Christ, his substitutionary death on the cross. J.I. Packer says this. It says, The cradle led to the cross. We must see it in this context. It is more than a marvel of nature, but it's a marvel of grace. Amazing. And then I love what John Donne says in the book of Uncommon Prayer. He says, The whole of Christ's life was a continual passion. Others die martyrs, but Christ was born a martyr. He was fa- he found at Golgotha where he was crucified, even in Bethlehem where he was born. For to, who, to, to his tenderness, then the straws were almost as sharp as the thorns after, and the manger as uneasy at first at the cross at last. His birth and his death were but one continual act, and his Christmas Day and his Good Friday are all but the evening and the morning of one and the same day. From the crutch, the cradle to the cross is an inseparable line. Christmas only points forward to Good Friday and Easter. It can have no meaning apart from that, where the Son of God display His glory by His death. And so as we celebrate Christmas, we, we remember he was born under the law for us so he could pay the price for our sin. And then look at verse 5. What was this purpose? What was this overall purpose? And where it comes for us and for the world, this hope, and really this is the deeper wonder of Christmas. And so look at verse 5. It says this, so that, so here's the purpose, that he might redeem us those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So why did Jesus come? He he came from glory to redeem us, Paul says, literally to set us free from our slavery to the elementary principles of this world, to this life of earning, this this life of seeking love and, and trying to work for it. We've been set free from that. He's redeemed us from that. By coming and dying for us, he paid for our freedom on the cross. And so Jesus was sent by the Father to die for our freedom, to redeem us. And so as we've read, the incarnation cannot save us without the crucifixion. we were not redeemed by his life alone. He redeemed us through his death. His death. And so as a result, this means as a child of God, we are safe. We're secure from that we can't even imagine. You and I, who trust in Jesus, this one who's come to redeem us, are safe. And we have a father, it says here, who watches over us, who who knows our every need, and who's defeated death for us, who promises to deliver you to himself safely one day. See, that's the promise he makes to us as he's redeemed us, as it says in verse 5. And not only did the cross redeem us and have this atoning purpose, but it also has an adopting purpose. You see that here at the end of verse 5, we're redeemed, those under the law, but also that we might receive the adoption as sons. That's a beautiful passage. That we might receive the adoption as sons. Sons. In this text, we see a change, right? We see a shift. That Jesus' coming turns us from slaves into what does he say here? Into sons. And how does this happen? This happens by faith alone. In Jesus alone. Paul says up in chapter 3, verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, ladies, don't get offended here because Paul is using the word sons a lot, right? And so in that culture, in that time, sons were the ones who would receive the inheritance. But but don't get offended by that here in the text because he has both in mind here sons and daughters. And so don't, don't miss that. And so by calling his children sons of God, guaranteed that all his sons and daughters that come to him by faith would be included in his inheritance, And this is what Paul says. Look at verse 7 of chapter 4. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So what does that mean? That we are now not slaves, but we're sons. We have this inheritance. It means, guys, we are wealthy, right? That's what it means. And some of y'all are thinking, oh, really? All right. want to hear more about this. Okay. This inheritance, what does this mean? It means we have this true, we have this lasting, otherworldly, otherworldly prosperity. We have this eternal prosperity, a divine inheritance kept in heaven for you. It's no mistake that when Paul compares sons with slaves, he calls them, look at verse 1 of chapter 4, owner of everything. Owner of everything. And he's speaking about sons in general, but this means for us that as those who are now children of God, all that he has, and he has it all, scripture tells us that he owns everything God does. He wants to share with us the redeemed, his adoption, or his adopted children. And so one day we will own it all with him. And yet the greatest treasure when we will inherit is not anything God can give us, but God himself. You see, he is the most valuable, most satisfying, most fulfilling reality that there is. And in Christ, we are his, and scripture tells us we, uh, he is ours. And there's nothing better than that in our inheritance. Nothing in our lives here is worth losing what God alone can give his children. And so when we compromise the gospel or leave it behind, we risk losing everything. It's impossible to describe how much is at stake here. You see, there is nothing more important for us to get right than how we get right with God. And that's what Paul wants to emphasize here. And so he says we are redeemed. We are brought out of bondage under these elementary things of trying to earn God's love. We are safe. And not only that, God says you're in my family as sons and daughters. And this is what Christ, his coming accomplishes. But I want you to see also, look at verse 6. He says here, because you are sons, because now you have been adopted into Christ's family, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. Interesting here, if you go back up to verse 4, it says, When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son. And then also in verse 6, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit. Interesting words here. He sent forth Jesus, and now he sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so in the same way that God sent Jesus into our broken world to save us, he sent the Spirit of God into our broken, our sinful hearts to make us his sons and daughters. When I read that, that is the deeper wonder of Christmas, of this time of year, of Christ's coming. Verse verse 6 tells us, By the Spirit, God himself is in us who believe and trust in Christ, binding us to himself, making us his own, giving us an access to him now through prayer and then forever in eternity face to face one day. We have this intimacy with the only one who can truly know us and satisfy us. And so by our faith, he lives in us. He listens to us. He loves us. He is with us by his spirit. So that means you are fully known, you are fully loved by him. And so the spirit, as Paul says here, gives us the confidence. He gives us the freedom to cry out to God. He assures us that God really does love us. And the cry that he inspires is a cry to a dad, where he says here, Abba, Father, literally Abba, Daddy. And so the spirit inside of us pleases a child. Pleads to it as a child and not as a slave. As children, our intimacy with the Father means he loves us deep, persistent, and not decisively based on our performance of trying and earning something. That's not what his love is based on. But as we see here, it's based on grace. And so we are thoroughly known and profoundly loved. We are his. That's what verse 6 says. We are his sons and daughters who can cry out to him, Abba, Father, Daddy. And So when you think of Christmas this time of year, think of Christ coming as this invasion into this world that's weary of earning and trying to seek acceptance and trying to seek love and and trying to work for salvation. And, And that's where Jesus came into. And you think about a lot of people that we know, friends and maybe family, who that's their world, that's their life, that's what they believe this lost and broken world. But Christ came full of truth and grace, John 1 tells us. That's how he came. He came into a world to redeem us, to rescue us from being in bondage to earning his love, but instead he came to make us sons and daughters, to make us in a forever family, to release us from the slavery and to set us free, to be fully known and to be fully loved by him, to be safe forever. And now we can call on the father as daddy. And we can have God's presence with us forever by his spirit. And to close our time, I want to just read to you this one other quote in the Living the Christian Year, a book. And in light of Paul's words here in Galatians, it says, Christ became the child of a woman that we might become children of the Spirit. He identifies with us, Jesus does, so that we can identify with him. Children, and this is powerful, of the same Abba the same daddy, and heirs of the same inheritance. You see, we can't earn God's love. We can't earn any of this that Paul is mentioning here. We must give up our desire to earn, and we must surrender to Christ, to trust in him as the one who has come born under the law. He also died under the law taking our place, taking what we deserve. He paid it fully. And so don't seek to earn God's love, but know that Christmas is about setting us free from that so that we can have a relationship with him based on grace and love and forgiveness that is free. God simply says to us this morning, trust in my son who I sent for you. Trust in him alone. Let's pray this morning.